Hello and welcome to Beer and Money, a financial fireside chat for tech professionals. We work to simplify your finances so that you can enjoy your life. Now here are your hosts, Ryan Burkwell and Alex Collins. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Beer and Money. My name is Ryan Burklow. Allow me to introduce my lovely co-host, Alex. My favorite color is orange Collins. Go Dutch. Dutch, yes. I expected go Gators. Orange. (laughs) So today's conversation, we thought we would talk about investments and more of intro to investments, talking about the fundamentals, talking about risk profiles, talking about just looking at asset classes, how, how, to, how to begin looking at investing in the market. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting conversation because a lot of people c- confuse investing and trading. It, it's just really a complex conversation. And so starting at the beginning and getting a good solid foundation of understanding where returns come from and how the market works is a, is a great start. Right. And if that is always an interesting conversation because while I think most people inherently understand putting their money into the market and essentially investing in a company or in a mutual fund or real estate fund where you're hoping that that fund or company does well and in turn produces profits, which in turn makes that fund or stock go up. However, when you're looking at a portfolio, and looking at efficiency around that, that's where I think where returns come from and how to balance often gets lost. And what I mean by that is returns come from free market capitalism, right? So stocks and bonds and and the, the stock portion I've just brought up. But in terms of the risk profile, you manage the risk with bonds and fixed income. Yes. So... The first, going back to the first component, capital markets fundamentally working, that that it is an efficient way to price assets is whatever somebody will pay for it, whether that's real estate, stocks, bonds, whatever, the most efficient way to price something is to ask the world, what will you pay for it? So that's where returns, supply and demand, right? Yeah, the basics of supply and demand. That that's where returns come from is owning ownership of companies, and then ownership of debt. When I say ownership of companies, I'm talking about equity ownership, investing in the stock market. Now that that happens to be publicly traded companies, and when I'm talking about owning debt, that's fixed income or bonds. Right. And what I was trying to, I guess, start the conversation around is when you look at bonds or fixed income, some people looked at at that as strictly, and I guess it depends on your portfolio of going after some sort of rate of return inside of that. When a lot of portfolios that we look at, really, that's that's the hedge, that's the risk profile that you're bringing down or bringing up, depending on what you have sitting in fixed income or bonds. 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, right now you've got folks that are chasing yield inside of fixed income, trying to get some rate of return. And we had a conversation with uh, a banker friend of ours the other day uh, where he was saying, or we asked him what interest rate his bank was offering on stuff. And without skipping a beat, his response was zero point nothing, um, which and that's starting to change. I mean, we're seeing interest rates starting to creep up, but we also just saw the Fed. Fed just cut rates. I'm not sure if it's going to creep <laughs> up any further. Right. And we're, we're seeing mortgage rates come back down towards historical lows again. I mean, it's been a long time since I've seen mortgage rates in the threes. So rule number one, owning the stocks and managing the risk with fixed income. Yeah, the, the equity ownership or owning of companies is where the, the real return is going to come from. The whole point and purpose of fixed income is to give ourselves a hedge against the stocks for diversification purposes to make sure that when the market is down, we've got investments that are going to buoy the, the overall portfolio and keep it from falling too far too fast because the average person out there can't stomach the swings that the market goes through. What you just brought up, rule number two, diversifying. And this is often, I think, misunderstood because they think, well, I have Apple, I've got Microsoft, I've got Google, well, I'm diversified. You're diversified from a company perspective, like you're, all of your money's not in one company, but from a sector perspective, you're all in large cap tech sector. And so if that sector goes down- And all in the US. And all in the US. So. When we talk about diversification, we're talking about globally diversified, asset class diversified, right? Different sectors diversified. So a complete diversification across the entire portfolio. Yeah, 100%, Ryan. It's making sure that we've got diversification both across sectors, across different companies. The goal is to make sure that we've got broad diversification. We don't want to try and pick which companies are going to succeed and which companies are going to fail. The reason being is we're going to be wrong if we do that. The The track record of investment professionals picking the right company is overwhelmingly negative. And that diversification helps with that aspect. Absolutely. The, the goal is not to try and compete with the market. I mean, if you're competing with somebody whose job it is to sit in front of a computer all day, every day, and know everything there is to know about, uh, you know, half a dozen, two dozen, heck, even fifty companies, and they've got access to Bloomberg machines and you know the most recent financial news. Well, it's not like the old days, right? It's not like you found out the news the next day or the next week. News is instantaneous now, and so to be able to jump on a stock, if you will because of news that is about to come out and not from an insider trading aspect, but you just happen to find out the news prior to the newspaper releasing it or something of that sort. Obviously that back in the day, that could have been something that you could actually pick and win if you will, from that perspective. Right. Having access to better information was super helpful. Now having access to better information, it's, it's not that, you're not going to necessarily have access to better information. There's too many 
too many people out there in the marketplace that are acting very, very quickly upon new information. Well, I mean, it's so quick that when I was driving home yesterday, my wife sent me a text saying, hey, such and such road is closed due, an, due to an accident. The accident literally happened like two minutes prior. Someone jumped on Facebook, Facebook groups, and posted a message saying so-and-so road is closed. Right? And that's just that's local here across the board. The same thing happens with information across the board in terms of investments and, and what's going on with individual companies. So it's extremely difficult. You have to get like a millisecond jump. <laughs> right to take advantage of that type of news and and the whole point of this is you know any individual heck even folks like yourself and i who are relatively knowledgeable we just don't spend our entire day sitting in front of a computer looking at this stuff we're not going to consistently beat the market and so instead of trying to compete with the market the goal is to own the market and that way when the market goes up we're going to succeed with it and no full knowledge that you know roughly two thirds of the time the market's going to go up and one third of the mar- time the market's going to go down, and then it's just a matter of managing the expectations and making sure that we've got dollars that are parsed out in terms of the the time horizon appropriately, so we don't have to dip into a stock market based investments that are when they're down, we've got other buckets that we can go ahead and get access to, so that we we don't wind up pulling out. Uh, pulling dollars out of the market when the market is down and down significantly. Right. Which the time frame that you were just speaking of also, that brings us to rule number three around rebalancing, right? So we just went through this, or we're going through this 10 year run, if you will, from 08 to now around how the market's just really exploded. It's the best run or one of the best runs ever the market has ever produced. And depending on how your portfolio is allocated, that run can make your allocation different. Yeah, exactly. So if you, let's say that uh, at the bottom. Let's real quick, let's define allocation. So allocation is how much of your money in your portfolio is in stocks versus bonds, right? Or the risk profile that you're going to take on. Yeah. As well as what type of fund you're putting it into. Yeah, inside of stocks and bonds, we've obviously got large, medium, and small companies. Uh, we've got value-oriented companies. We've got growth-oriented companies, domestic, international, emerging markets. So there's there's different ways to classify assets. And on the fixed income side, we've got short-term, medium-term, and long-term in terms of the, the maturity or the duration of those bonds. Um, and then we've also got high-yield versus high-quality high yield seeking to it almost has more of a stock type portfolio or type of profile in terms of the risk but it's not going to generate that same return versus something that is much more uh, high quality where the default risk is significantly lower you know we're not going to get as much yield and therefore not as much return we're not looking for that from that particular structure. So that's what we mean by allocation is where your money is, how much of your money is in each individual type of uh, market-based asset. Now rebalancing, right, back to this 10-year run that we're on, and a lot of that, the S&P, right, so S&P 500, large cap stocks, big run the last 10 years. So if you had 
let's just ultra let's make this ultra simple for explanation purposes. Let's just say you had 80% of your portfolio in bonds, okay. fixed income, and you had 20% in large cap stock or the S&P 500. How would that have changed over the last 10 years if you never looked at what your your allocation or portfolio was doing over the last 10 years? Oh, vastly dramatically. You, you'd almost have flip-flopped the percentages to, to the point where you'd have, depending upon exactly how you were invested and if, if you did made any changes or anything of that nature, you might be 80-20 the other way. Right. So if you made no changes... Obviously, bonds the last 10 years haven't done great, and the S&P 500 has done phenomenal. So what that means is your portfolio every year is slowly becoming more aggressive to some degree because you're investing in large-cap stocks rather than a bond, fixed-income, less-risk portfolio. That is a great way to to look at it, Ryan, is if you don't rebalance, as the market goes up— you're taking more risk when you've already seen a phenomenal run in the market. Conversely, if the market goes down and so bonds outperform stocks because stocks are are dropping in value, now you're taking risk off at a time when you may want to actually put it on. Which brings probably a question of, I'm sure those of you listening wondering about, okay, rebalancing, that makes sense. I get what you're saying, Ryan and Alex. So when do I rebalance? Here comes comes the it depends, right? (laughs) Typically, we would recommend making sure that you're rebalancing annually. Although anytime you go through a dramatic shift in the market, take a look at the portfolio and make sure that it's either happening automatically after you get, you know, five to 10% off of your normal allocation or you know once a year once a quarter i think the the real answer is just make it systematic yeah right if it's quarterly six months annual every i mean whenever you choose to do it quarterly might be a little a little bit much but my point is is making it systematic therefore you're taking almost the emotion which brings us to number four around behavior is the rule number four and it's the hardest one to come by you're taking the emotion out when you make it systematic. Yeah. The other component to rebalancing is if the portfolio is a taxable portfolio, quarterly is probably too often to rebalance from a tax standpoint. Right. Right. So rebalancing every 13 months to force stuff into long-term capital gains would be a a good behavior to be in. So when we're, what I was just talking about behavior wise, so this 10 year run, right? If you haven't touched your portfolio, you're probably liking how the portfolio has done the last 10 years. It's going to be very difficult to then tail that back. I mean, especially with that extreme example of the 2080 model that I, that I chose, because that's extremely conservative. However, when you make it systematic, you take emotions out. Yeah. The number one enemy of a portfolio is yourself and your own emotions. And we get to the point where we're, we either feel like despair when the market's going down, and so we have a tendency of jumping out of the market at exactly the wrong time. Conversely, we have a tendency of putting more dollars into the market when the market's already had a phenomenal run. Now, the easy answer is we don't know how long 
you know, this run or any run is really going to last. The future is uncertain and the future is really what dictates where the market is going to go. Whatever the news of tomorrow is, is going to affect how the market performs. Could be positive, could be negative, and that's why we don't know. It's an ever-changing thing. It's not possible to just model it out and go, oh, well, you know, every time you know, September rolls around, the market does great or the market does phenomenally. And therefore we're going to do, you know, we're going to trade it this way or that way based on, you know, the calendar year or, you know, the price to value ratio, something of that nature. None of that is constant and consistent. Well, the fact is if the market was predictable, would it provide the returns that we're actually after? No. (laughs) And if it was predictable like that, algorithms would be written to make it to to eliminate that predictability right so that's the whole point of investing in the market to, to some degree is having that supply and demand aspect but again the unpredictability of it is really what's kind of providing the return to us yeah and, and that then goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the the difference between investing and trading when we're trading the market what we're trying to do is we're trying to identify something where we think that there is something out of whack with how the market is is acting or reacting and that the the market is inefficiently priced because of some amount of information that's out there when we're investing we're saying hey we're going to go through the highs and lows and we have a long time horizon we're going to buy and hold and rebalance because this is our financial philosophy. This is what we believe in and we're going to stick to our guns even if we go through uh, 2001, 2002, 2008, even if we go through something that's we've never experienced before. Like, well, we've constantly gone through events in history where that's never happened before. And what happened? Well, the market reacted to it and then eventually wound up going higher. So, so long as we've got a long enough time horizon, we're in good shape. It's making sure that we're managing those expectations and understanding the difference between trading and investing. Well, and the other piece, the time horizon, you bring up a good, a good point there, like 2008, right? The, the baby boomer generation, a lot of them freaked out. And why wouldn't you, right? This is a lot of them are on the cusp of retirement. And then they lose 20, 30, 40% of their portfolio. They freak out and cash out and go to cash. Yeah, I mean, from peak to trowel, if you got into the, into the S&P at exactly the wrong time and got out at exactly the wrong time, you were down 56%. And so, you know, it is massively difficult to go ahead and stay invested when you're going through that type of volatility. And that goes back to, to what we were talking about earlier with using fixed income as the the break. And the rebalancing aspect, right? So as you're getting closer to retirement, if that risk is too high, maybe the rebalancing is essentially upping your fixed income investment and lowering the stock investment or adding something else, right? Like the point is, is were they looking at their portfolio and looking at it from has the risk changed as they're getting closer and closer to retirement? Not that you should or should not. It's more of do they even have the conversation? 
Right. And it's an individual, it's an individual conversation around risk. And generally speaking, as you get closer to retirement, yes, you should become less aggressive. You're going to become less risky because your time horizon comes down dramatically. You know, if you're in your thirties and you're investing, well, you've got a 30 year time horizon before you need the, the dollars for retirement. If you're in your fifties, with a portion of the money, you still have that 30-year time horizon because hopefully you're living well into your 80s, if not your 90s or beyond. At the same time, your time horizon has changed because you might need some of that money in the next 5, 10, or 15 years. And so we have to start shifting how we're managing those assets from accumulation to distribution. And those two phases are dramatically different in terms of how somebody should be invested. And just to tie this back to our previous podcast around the bucket conversation, when you have different buckets of money with different risk profiles, the higher risk profile bucket of money, you're able, hopefully, to stay invested and stay the course because of the fact that you had the midterm bucket, right? It's not that that bucket talk was, yes, it was around liquidity and life events and having opportunity, but it was also around behavior. If you have those different buckets of money, it helps you stay the course. Right. And so we're not necessarily rebalancing into a, a different portfolio, but we're creating different buckets where the new dollars going in are typically going to be more conservative we might rebalance a little bit differently so that we start shifting assets from a more aggressive portfolio to a more conservative portfolio. That is one of the things that we may do, especially in the absence of significant dollars being invested or continuing to be invested into the portfolio. For example, if we've got you know a $2 million investment portfolio and we're only putting $10,000 a year into the investment, we're likely going to have to have some amount of intentional structural rebalance going on because $10,000 of new money, even if it goes 100% into fixed income, is barely creating a dent in the, the difference of, of allocation. So in review, four rules of investing, right? So own stocks and manage with, with manage risk with fixed income. Just develop a list there for a second. Diversify, number two. Rebalance, number three. And number four, the hardest one, behave. Yeah, behave is far and away the hardest one. It, it really just it goes against everything that we feel, everything that we're taught. I mean, you and I work in, I believe, just about the only industry in the world in which people routinely walk in the door and say, Hey, what do you have that you've just marked up 50%? I want to buy that. <laughs> what do you have that you've marked down 25%? Let me sell that to you. Yep. And it, it sounds insane when we talk about it that way, but like that happens fairly consistently from folks that don't really have a good understanding or good backing of investing and how it works and why the markets work the way in which they do and, and how to go about accomplishing this stuff. In our next podcast, we're going to be talking about standard deviation and essentially looking at the risk profile that you actually have, or essentially the risk units that you actually have inside of your portfolio. We hope today's conversation was valuable for you. As always, we hope you have a good rest of your day. Cheers. 
This podcast is for information purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that all individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or Quantified Financial Partners, and opinions stated are their own. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. S&P 500 Index is a market index generally considered representative of the stock market as a whole. The index focuses on the large cap segment of the U.S. equities market. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Investing in the bond market is subject to certain risks, including market, interest rate, issuer, credit, and inflation risk. Investing in foreign securities may involve heightened risk, including currency fluctuations, less liquid trading markets, greater price volatility, political and economic instability, less publicly available information, and changes in tax or currency laws. Such risks are enhanced in emerging markets. Rebalancing and diversification does not guarantee profit or protect against market loss. Data and rates used were indicative of market conditions as of the date shown. Opinions, estimates, forecasts, and statements of financial market trends are based on current market conditions and are subject to change without notice. References to specific securities, asset classes, and financial markets are for illustrative purposes only and do not constitute a solicitation, offer, or recommendation to purchase or sell a security. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Ryan and Alex are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities, LLC. OSJ 3585 Maple Street, number 140, Ventura, California, 909-399-1100. Securities products and advisory services offered through Park Avenue Securities, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. Park Avenue Securities is an indirect, wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Quantified Financial Partners is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian. Number 2019-85156, expiration 08-2021.